Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yes, everybody, it is me, Matt Wright, here on another Thursday evening live with the Writer's Block of Muddied Waters Media production. Uh, Thank you all so much for spending your Thursday evenings with me because I know there are a lot of things in this world you could be doing right now and you are choosing to spend it here with me on the Writer's Block. So thank you very much. First and foremost, allow me to thank my wonderful Beautiful sponsors at SiestaCava.com for the kava I am drinking on today's episode and on every day's episode. Uh, if you have yet to try the Libertarian Kool-Aid, go to SiestaCava.com to try uh, the Hippie Moonshine today. To you and to Siesta Cava, I say, Bula Vinaka. Uh My guest tonight, I'm going to get to the sponsors later. Don't, don't anybody worry. I'm going to get to the rest of the sponsors later this evening. But my guest tonight is on a very stringent uh, time schedule, and I'm just excited to have him on, so I'm bringing him on as quickly as possible. 
he is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He specializes in foreign policy and civil liberties. Uh, he worked as a special assistant to President Reagan, uh, writes regularly for Fortune magazine, the American Conservative, Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Times. Please, everybody welcome with me, Mr. Doug Banda. Hey, Doug, how are you doing? i truly honored to have you on the show. I appreciate that. I'm doing well and glad to be on. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, so over the last week, it has been, uh, it's been a crazy week. Um, but let's talk about what's going on in Cuba. Um, obviously everybody, everybody knows, especially anybody watching the show knows that, um, Cuba is going through, there's a bunch of protests going on, a little bit of a revolt, but I want to ask you, because I know that you specialize in this stuff. In fact, you wrote an article, uh, that came out this morning, hating stupid interventions does not require loving communists for the American conservative. Fantastic article. Um, but how did the current protests in Cuba get started? Well, it looks like they started spontaneously. That uh, we, There was one that uh, in a community south of Havana that ended up on Facebook. And on Sunday, and that apparently triggered the others. They hit at least 50 communities across the uh, country. I mean, it, there, it's not as if there's an organization. There's no you know, conspiracy. There's... You know, the Cuban government would love to have you think that it's somehow the U.S. is behind all of this. Right. I mean, it's not yeah. as if, I mean, Washington is not competent enough to pull something like this off. I mean, these this is the Cuban people. And, uh, you know, so apparently it's, there is a lot of frustration across the island. And when people saw some people were protesting, they said, hey, we should do the same. And it spread. And it, uh, you know, it really shocked the Cuban government. They were not expecting this. Right. It's spreading faster than COVID is in Cuba right now. <laughs> yeah, the, right. the desire to get rid of communism. Um, yeah. So obviously we've seen a lot of this on Facebook and on Twitter with a bunch like the videos coming out of it. And you see the people out there and they're screaming, you know, for freedom and, you know, no more communism. And obviously the American press is pretty much saying it's because they want the vaccine, which that makes sense to me. Um <laughs> But um, what is making this specific protest different from the protests that were going on in the past? Like the 1994? Uh, it was 94, correct? Yeah. What, yeah what's, I mean, there, are, there are a couple of different things. I mean, they, they had you know, a big petition campaign back in the early 2000s, like 75,000. I mean, thousands of people signed a petition wanting freedom. Uh, 1994 were big protests that led to kind of a, uh, I think they talk, talk, talked about a raft lift or something. I mean, a lot of people fleeing to America. You could go back to 1980 at the Mariel boat lift. I mean, there have been these episodes. So this is number one. This is the first uh, kind of outbreak, something like this, for quite some time. Second is how broad it is across the country. You know, in the past, Havana is this focus. Havana is the capital. It's the big city. It's the place where the government is located. But what we've seen, uh, you know, this past a few days is across the country. It's also much broader, especially a lot of young people, uh, families. You know, so this is not just kind of a, an older set where you could try to blame people who've been around since the revolution or something. This is one where clearly young people in particular are very frustrated. And that's what you find. I've been there twice. I've talked to, I mean, in one case, I talked to a grandfather. He was, uh, you know, in the foreign service in Cuba Three of his four grandkids are out of Cuba because they can't find work. 
mean, there's just no opportunity. So what you see today are there are a lot of different demands there. It's far more than COVID. And that's what has the government very nervous is this is a broad reaching demands. This isn't just one thing. You know, this is great frustration with the system, the lack of liberty, the lack of economic opportunity. And it's a real judgment on the Cuban government. Right. And so obviously the uh, president of Cuba, you know, he's been blaming the U.S. And because of uh, the embargo and different uh, sanctions that we have that the U.S. has on the Cuban government, he's been blaming that. And I'm not saying that I agree with the sanctions or the embargo, but how much of that is for what is happening right now? Well, the first point, of course, if socialism is so wonderful, it should work whether or not you deal with the U.S. or not. I mean, there is something ironic about a socialist government whining about the fact that America won't deal with them. Well, I mean, you're a socialist. I mean, isn't it supposed to you know, be a great, wonderful system for everyone? Like, I mean, I think the sanctions are stupid. The embargo goes back 60 years. Uh, the U.S. has added on. And what we've done is secondary sanctions. We go after the Europeans and others who deal with them. I mean, I, I'm very much against sanctions. I think they're wrong in the case of Cuba. I think they're wrong in the case of Venezuela, wrong in the case of Syria, you know, Iran. I think what we're doing is we're starving people, we're wrecking economies. Right. So we can, the starting point, I think, can be that the U.S. government is wrong in this approach. If it hasn't worked for 60 years, I think you can say it's probably not going to bring democracy. It's not the right step. It, uh, but it's still, there's far more at stake here. I mean, what you do is you have mismanagement of the economy on top of you know, sanctions. That is, you know, this is a regime that itself, I mean, this is a question of socialism. I mean, this was not working even back in the 60s, 70s, where before we had secondary sanctions. It was simply the U.S. wouldn't. You know, do, I mean, I've been there. I've stayed at a Dutch hotel. It was the first uh, when I went there back in, I think it was 2003. You know, there was European investment. I mean, it wasn't as if nobody could come in and invest. You know, so you had that. So it's not as if they had no foreign money. You know, they have a system that just doesn't work. I mean, the, what you find is all the incentives are wrong. You know, the state takes control. The state doesn't know how to plan. So there's great frustration. This is a bureaucracy that outdoes any other bureaucracy. You know, so there's extraordinary economic problems. They have power outages, food shortages, long lines for food. Uh, you know, and the problem they've had, you know, kind of explosion of COVID. They have, uh, you know, some low, kind of homegrown vaccines, but I think it's only about 16% of the people have gotten them. You know, they've had, they've opened up to tourism, trying to bring in some money that apparently has brought in Russians and others who may have brought in, you know, some of the infections. So you're seeing here is a frustration, number one, on the economic side of a whole host of issues, you know, of electricity, of health, of COVID, of, uh, you know, food, as well as a frustration. This is a dictatorship. I mean, we should have no illusions here. And I think you know, we have to recognize there are you know, Cubans who remain supportive of the government. There's a real nationalistic impulse saying we don't want the U.S. pushing us around. But this is a dictatorship. You criticize the regime. You protest against the regime. You're likely to go to jail. And you know, the estimates, you know, Human Rights Watch and others figure, you know, scores of people have simply disappeared. They figure a couple hundred people have been arrested right. since the protests began. And a number of them have simply disappeared that uh, everybody presumes they are in jail, but they don't know. This isn't a good system, and it frustrates people. Yeah, um, so one of the things that um, the the Human Rights Organization, hang on, I I took terrible notes apparently today. Um, (laughs) I I wrote down a quote from your article today, uh, the Human Rights Watch. Uh, They said the Cuban government represses and punishes uh, 
dissent and public criticism. Tactics against critics include beatings, public shamings, travel restrictions, short-term detention, fines, online harassment, surveillance, and termination of employment. Um, now, the, Amer- the American left, uh, they have spent the last year plus uh, protesting against what they said was uh, dictate, you know, a fascist regime and dictatorship. But yet, when it comes to this, it's almost like they're taking the side of the Cuban government over the people who are fighting for freedom. Do you have any idea on the logic here? Well, I think in part what's going on is a response to the rhetoric. You know, the Cuban rhetoric has always been wonderful. You know, we love everybody and we're going to have socialism and everybody will be equal. And indeed, you know, the Cuban regime is, you know, has greater equality in the sense that the elite, other than those who have access to foreign money, local elite are not that rich. That is, if you're a public servant, you don't get rich. Even the leadership don't live lavishly, though you can bet that they get their food, they get what they need. You know, Fidel Castro got, I'm sure, very good medical care, you know, when he needed it. You know, but so there's a sense in which it's not, I mean, you know, not like China where you had, I mean, billions of dollars being looted and stuff. You know, so right. there's that sense. The rhetoric was very appealing. And part of it was the U.S. made you know, Fidel Castro into a symbol of nationalism, you know, opposition to imperialism, these kinds of things. So I think the left has become enamored of kind of, the, in a sense, the image. They became enamored of the rhetoric, losing sight of the fact that this is a dictatorship. People go to jail. Early on, there are a lot of executions. You know, they, they play rough. I mean, this is you know, now this isn't Stalin. I mean, it's not you know, it's not mass murder. But this is not a good system. So if you're going to say the U.S. needs democracy, and we have all these problems at home, well, why do you want to deny democracy in Cuba? You know, it doesn't make any sense. You know, to my mind, that's my point of my article was I'm against U.S. intervention. We shouldn't right. invade. We shouldn't have sanctions. But that doesn't mean you should praise the Cuban government. Indeed, it deserves to be uh, you know criticized because it's doing to you know, people in Cuba, what all these right-wing regimes over the years did that the U.S. supported, whether it be the Somoza regime in Nicaragua. We can come up with a long list, you know, governments the U.S. support. I mean, the Saudis, I mean, a great U.S. ally, you know, utterly brutal and ruthless. You know, that's appropriately criticized. We'll criticize the uh, you know, Cuban regime as well. Right. Um, somebody in the, uh, in the comments here asked a question, and they wanted to know if this revolt was similar to uh, or not at all like the Arab Spring protests that we saw roughly a decade ago? Well, I think in the sense that the Arab Spring protests were also unscripted. I mean, they began in Tunisia. Uh, you know, there was, it had to do with regulation, economics. You know, and they, they, like, there was a, um, you know, a guy who, like, he, I think he was a seller. You know, he had like a stall or he had a cart, you know, sold things, and he was kind of brutalized by the, the cops uh, taking his license or whatever. He set himself on fire. Right. And that triggered suddenly, I mean, that then protest erupted because he really, I mean, taking his own life, I mean, it's kind of going back to Vietnam, Vietnam War, Buddhists who are setting themselves on fire. This gets people's attention. And so that, that suddenly triggered, you know, kind of demonstrations and stuff that just cascaded across the country. So I think in the sense that you have this underlying frustration that clearly is broadly felt across the country. And here's something just happened. I mean, there's just a moment somebody decides to start protesting and lo and behold, it gets picked up. I think that's kind of the start of the Arab Spring. You know, and, and when it jumped to you know, Egypt and elsewhere, everybody's suddenly looking and saying, well, heck, heck, if the Tunisians can do it, why shouldn't we do it? Right, yeah, why but, can't we do it? 
Yeah, that's right. So I think that in yeah. that element, I'd say, yeah, I think there is a lot of similarity, this unscripted frustration where people are saying, we're tired of this. We want new leadership. We want our leaders to listen to us. Do you see a chance of uh, it spreading to other parts of the world, like people seeing it working in Cuba and it's spreading like Venezuela or anywhere else? Or do you think it's going to stay mainly contained to the island? Uh, I think Latin America is just a bit too different. That is, Middle okay. East in many ways is the most dictatorial, the most closed you know, region in the country. And in certain ways, the most common. That is, you know, you have you know, several different uh, monarchies. You know, they vary within, but they're still, where else do you have multiple monarchies? UAE, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Bahrain. I mean, all of these are their kings or their emirs or their right. princes and whatnot. You know, so you had very similar, they were all pretty much dictatorial. You know, Latin America is a, a mix. There are a lot of democracies, some lean left, some lean right. You know, Venezuela is the closest. I mean, but they've had yeah, I mean, the, the, the repression there is pretty ruthless. You know, they've been through this for years and years. So I don't see it having the same impact. But certainly if you saw a change of government in Cuba, that would be a very dramatic symbol. I mean, the, you know, the, the revolutionary government, if you want to call it that, has been in power for more than 60 years. If that went out, I mean, that would be a very dramatic change. Fair. Um, so with with how this is going, what is, in your opinion, what do you think the best case scenario is? What's the best case scenario for all of, how, how would this end and it not be a complete bloodbath of the protesters? Like, what's, what is the best case? Yeah, I mean, in many ways, I think the best case is strong but evolutionary change. That is, what you do is you force within the Communist Party, in a sense, what you want is a Gorbachev. I mean, I've always felt that with the change of the Soviet Union, I mean, I work for Reagan. I have a lot of respect for him. He deserves a lot of credit with the Cold War. But Mikhail Gorbachev was absolutely critical. He was the guy who in 1989 wanders around Eastern Europe saying the Soviet troops are staying in their barracks. You know, we, there's, the, the Red Army will not save you. And that was absolutely vital because you have all these communists still you know, kind of satellite states where you know, none of these people none of them were just out i mean other than the romanians Ceausescu, all right. of these guys were apparatchiks right i mean they, you know, they're not gonna i mean the idea of starting to have mass murder i mean they realized they couldn't rely on their own troops that gorbachev was the critical one gorbachev is the one who says sakharov come back from exile i mean gorbachev sets in pro process so to me that's probably your best choice here you know an actual collapse of the government fight i mean I don't think we want kind of a violent overthrow. I think it could be very messy. Who knows who wins? It'd be nice to see within the Communist Party a move away from the traditional, very ruthless, you know, authoritarian leadership to an another. I mean, we've kind of hit a younger generation. You know, I mean, Canal Diaz is the first guy who's been was uh, you know, born after the revolution, who's now in charge. But he's kind of an apparatchik. He's kind of colorless. He's pretty hard line. We need somebody. We need, I mean, the Cubans, I mean, this is really up to the Cubans. I mean, again, this is not something the U.S. can force. The Cubans need somebody who looks out and says, okay, we do have to change and is willing to listen to them. So to me, that would be the, that would be the best case in my mind would be to see the Communist Party say, we heard you. Okay, now we're going to start moving on these things. You start opening up on some of the freedoms, opening up the economy, these kinds of things. Right. So 
this just this actually just occurred to me. Uh, do you see any correlation, uh, any similarities between this revolution and the one from um, Hong Kong in 2019? Like, no, like, I mean the pro- the problem on Hong Kong is that we we tend to look at Hong Kong as if it was a separate political entity, but it has always been under the uh, you know. PRC under the People's Republic of China. Right. So, and I think that was always the great tragedy is you had within it a lot of wonderful student activism. And we put up on, on the Cato website, we had a conversation with two uh, you know, activists who here in the U.S. are essentially in exile. You know, and I think it's something we, everyone should be aware of. It's a great tragedy. Is that they were, in a sense, revolting against the local leadership, but the local leadership really wasn't in control. It was always Beijing in control. So, so in Cuba, I mean, you're you're dealing with the people who are in charge. I mean, if you can force change in Havana, you've got it. The problem in Hong Kong was any real change had to come from Beijing. Right. And you know, Xi Jinping is a very different guy than the ones they've had before. I mean, he's much more ruthless hardline cementing the role of the party and i think that's what the, the hong kongers unfortunately ran into that uh, you know they ran into the guy who was far more ruthless than anything they expected was quite willing to bring the full power of china down on them as opposed to just hong kong you know luckily you know, you know, the nice thing in sense about cuba is there's no soviet union behind it you know there's no kind of china there standing over the shoulder who's going i mean that's what you always had in eastern europe the Soviets were behind these guys until Gorbachev. Gorbachev comes along and suddenly it's your job. It's not the Moscow's job. So uh, kind of spinning off of that, like you in your article saying uh, hating stupid interventions does not require loving communists. If, if the military, if the United States and I don't agree with it, but if the if the United States ended up using a military intervention in Cuba, do you think a China or a Russia would come and back them? Uh, look at a map. You know, uh, Cuba is 100 miles off the coast of the United States. Right. The answer is no. Okay. I mean, the the, the 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 problem for the U.S., if you look at Taiwan, is Taiwan's the reverse. Taiwan is 100 miles off the coast of China. So when you hear Americans talk about defending China, you have to think about that geographically. The reality is Cuba is not nearly important enough for either Russia or China. Okay. It was a Cold War asset for the Soviet Union. I mean, that's why they put nukes there. That's why they wanted to preserve it. But in today's world, no. I mean, it strikes me the Russians are much more regional power. That's why they care about Ukraine. They care about Georgia. It's on their border. It's their region. You know, they play in the Western Hemisphere to give us the trouble. They don't play in it because it matters to them. And Cuba's, or China's the same way. They like economic engagement. They are not interested in going to war with the U.S. right next to the U.S. They would complain. They would, you know, they would criticize the U.S. They would use political means to, you know, go after the U.S. Uh, they would not. I don't think that. I don't think they'd even give any arms or anything. I think that it would just be, no. I mean, the U.S. has overwhelming force. You know, we could blockade the, the Caribbean. I mean, there's just no way on that. So, um, what do you think the odds are that this revolt will end up? strengthening the communist government in, in Havana and they like kind of put down an iron fist across all of Cuba. Well, I don't think it will, you know, it may cause them to crack down, but I think that's different from strengthening the government. Okay. I think what this has done is exhibited across Cuba. There is very strong frustration. Uh, you know, the president came on on Monday, a four hour meeting, brought along a lot of cabinet members and had them all try to explain why the areas that they were screwed up in, they were going to fix. You know, everything's going to be better. You know, we're going to make sure there's electricity, et cetera. 
And it wasn't very believable. I mean, the point is, well, you guys should have been doing this before, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can do this and fix this stuff, why is it a mess today? Why should I believe that tomorrow it's going to be fixed? You know, and they, uh, the, the opposition out there, it's, it's again, it's, this are not just American flunkies. There's a whole movement out of artists. Started last year, San Isidro uh, movement, you know, where you have a number of artists who are protesting. They want freedom of expression in terms of art. You know, these sorts of they were protesting outside, you know, one of the ministries. You know, so that was happening last year. Some of them were arrested, house arrest. I mean, so the government has found this. This is well beyond, you know, some, you know, kind of, you know, right wingers who happen to love the United States. This is a much broader sense. So I think the government is going to come out of this weakened, even though in the short term, they may very well crack down more people in jail, et cetera. But I think over the long term, this will undermine them. Because if they don't respond to these frustrations, uh, they're, they're going to build. I mean, if you don't fix the economy, you don't fix the uh, power system, you know, next week, next year, it's going to be even worse. Yeah, it's it's bizarre to see uh, the juxtaposition of the United States and Cuba. Where you ha- In Cuba, you have these artists and people who in the United States are traditionally very left-wing, and they're fighting for uh, more freedom of expression and more rights and more ability to uh, do their craft. And here... In the United States, you have all of these artists who are literally fighting to have less freedom of expression, less freedom of speech. Uh, and they are backing the quote-unquote canceling um, of other people, while the people in Cuba are like, no, let us, let us put what we want. Let us say what we want without fear of being taken and uh, never seen again. Uh, it's, it's just a strange dichotomy between the two who are coming from the same viewpoint well i mean i think the frustration is if you lose it you know if if you don't have it you understand what you've lost you know i mean if i mean you find a communist emigres i mean i I collect military art i have some uh, russians who i've bought some russian military art from and I mean, they came from Russia, so they're constantly complaining about why in America are we doing this? You know, we wanted to escape this. Right. You know, I mean, because they, they grew up in the Soviet Union. They under, you know, I mean, they paid that price. They came to America for the freedom and then they could see the U.S. doing things. And they're just saying we don't we don't get this. So I think that's a lot of the problem for the left is that in, you know, the, they see the things they like and they choose not to believe the things they don't like. I means I was on a TV show. I mentioned this in my article, and with a per, one of the people's referring to Russia and China as being anti-imperialist regimes. Well, I mean, look, I don't want war with either one of them, but to act as if these are somehow, you know, showcases of liberalism, you know, I mean, human rights. Oh, please! I mean, you know, and, and that's again, how can somebody on the left? say this about these so to me again there's a tendency of hating american intervention so much that one wants to demonize america and and kind of elevate and say nice things about the place where the u.s is involved i mean saddam hussein was a monster i mean our intervention there was an absolute catastrophe i mean hundreds of thousands of iraqis died i think it was you know i mean the impact on the region was i mean beyond catastrophic but that doesn't mean Saddam Hussein was a nice guy. I mean, I don't think we should be bombing Iran, but I mean, the mullahs, I mean, this regime, this is a nasty. You know. So so I think there's that tendency where you it's easy to start thinking you're supporting the good guys, even if, in fact, no, they aren't. I mean, we're simply saying well, U.S. shouldn't do this stuff. You don't have to say the other folks are nice. So um, 
I was I was watching a video the other day with a uh, Yemeni Park, the woman who uh, escaped uh, North Korea, and she was saying she always dreamed of having a safe place to be able to express herself freely and you know be able to say whatever she wanted without fear of the government. And then she came here and she goes to Colombia and they have these safe spaces where they're saying you can't say what you want. No, nobody's allowed to say what they want there unless you agree with like, and she said, I don't understand why people are this way here. Like, and she essentially summed it up by saying people just want what they don't have. And it, yeah, there's a lot of that. I mean, Jonathan Rausch has a wonderful new book out. Uh, you know, I think it's the, Const- the Constitution of Knowledge, maybe. You know, kind of looking at the whole issue of wokedom and stuff. I mean, and John- I mean, it's a wonderful effort looking at this kind of cancel culture. And they, you know, there was a small seminar we were on via Zoom, and the question was, what's more dangerous in a sense? Is it MAGA? Is it wokedom? I mean, where do you? And and I think the problem with what we see in this kind of wokedom stuff and the, you know, the safe spaces and the you know, cancel culture is in a sense, some on the left these days, you know, basically attack liberalism. That is liberalism wanted a free mind. Liberalism was free expression. Liberalism was that you should be able to have this battle of ideas and that you know, we often look at the right and say, well, that, oh, the extreme right, that's where the danger is. Well, today we see the real danger on the left. I think that's where she ran into I mean, I've never understood the notion that I should be afraid of ideas. I mean, there are a lot of ideas out there I don't like, but I'm in that world. My, my job is to fight them. It's to listen to them, to understand them. I mean, I read stuff on the left and on the right. I want to understand where the arguments are. If we give that up, we, you know, we lose so much. And then suddenly, yeah, that does kind of look like a North Korea. Everybody has to say what you're supposed to say. Everything's choreographed. We love the great leader. You know, well, look at you know, who wants to be there. Right. So um, before I let you go, because like, I, I know you're on a time schedule today, but before I let you go, um, how would you define the U.S.'s role in everything going on? And what do you think it should be? Well, the U.S. clearly has an impact that is American sanctions do make things worse. Uh, I mean, I don't think the problem is I view it as ultimately extraordinarily immoral to say the way to get you know, change in government is to impoverish people who are already hurting. And that's essentially what U.S. sanctions policy is. That what we're applying to Cuba does not just hurt, you know, the elite. I mean, it hurts everybody. I mean, you know, the fact that they, you know, I mean, fuel, I mean, all these sorts of things. And we see that elsewhere. I mean, you know, we have a policy, for example, where the Trump administration was very explicit in Syria. We want to prevent reconstruction. You know, the way to hurt Assad is to prevent people in a country that's been at war for 10 years from reconstruction. I mean, to me, this is grotesque. And it kind of goes back to you know, the famous episode back uh, when Madeleine Albright was asked about a half million Iraqi babies dying as a result of sanctions. These sanctions are, can be killers. Right. Her response was, we think the price is worth it. Well, who are we? Who are we to decide that the price of killing a half million babies is... And so... So I think that we should step away from, and, you know, there's, you, know, you can try to apply sanctions on leaders. They have the Magnitsky Act, you know, and I'm quite happy if you can target the right people. I mean, that is the the evil people, the people who are decision makers, fine by me. Don't expect that to change the policy, but you know, these people deserve to be hurt. But I'd say, so the, what the U.S. has been doing for 60 years, I mean, it may have made sense during the Cold War. You're concerned about the Soviet Union. You're concerned right. about an alliance relationship that close to the U.S. 
But that ended in you know the or, you know late 1980s, early 1990s. What have we been doing for the 30 years since? It simply makes no sense. So we shouldn't have the sanctions. So there's a, a reason to criticize the U.S. for that. But it strikes me the main problem with the sanctions in many ways was it allowed the Castro regime to blame the U.S. for their own failures. That ultimately what we have there is a dictatorship that's collectivist that has you know, messed up the economy. Sanctions have made it worse, but san you know, without sanctions, the economy would still be a mess. People would still be poor. So the ultimate blame goes on you know, the regime itself. And even if you like their economics, there's no excuse for the political repression. This is a dictatorship. People can't vote for their leadership. They can't say what they want about the leadership. You know, they can't leave if they, you know, the leadership doesn't want them to. You know, why would anyone on the left support that kind of a policy? I don't get it. I don't either. Um, one last question, because I've seen a, people, a couple of people ask it in the comments here. Uh, what's the likelihood that Biden repeals Proclamation 6867? Well, Biden has been very, very cautious on almost everything. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, one problem with, of course, the sanction is, is a lot of them are, are statutory. So if you're kind of looking at the kind of the broad range of what the U.S. has done, you know, Congress has implemented a lot of them. And what we've seen is, uh, you know, Obama you know, pulled a number off. He was quite a popular in uh, Cuba. When I was there, I think it was fall 2017, you know, people had decals on their cars, pictures of Obama because he had, he was really an inspiration to them. Again, this, I think shows how when you want to sanction and isolate a place, you completely miss it. That him going there was a threat to the regime. The regime was very unhappy because they could see his popularity. Millions of people coming out to see him. You know, I mean, that that scared them. You know, so the, I think that he had, a, I think, the right idea, but he, even he was limited. He was, you know, he didn't do it until his second term, et cetera. Biden at the moment has done nothing in making any changes in Cuba. Uh, it and my guess is that there may be some that will come, but who knows what it'll be? I mean, you know, because there are all sorts of little things he can do. You know, you have remittances. You know, we met, you know limits on remittances from you know Cuban Americans. The question of who can travel. You know, see, I, my guess is you're going to see some very small changes. I don't. This administration doesn't seem to be one that's going to make any grand. And look, if you're worried about the right, you're worried about being accused of being soft on communism. It's much harder to pull off sanctions after these kind of you know, protests. And I mean, for, and of course, that's the wrong attitude to have. We should be encouraging liberalization there. We want more people to go in. We want to undermine the system. We want ideas to flow. We want people there. But I'm afraid this administration is likely to, again, be very, very cautious. So I'm not I wouldn't make any predictions on any particular change. Fair. I think we'll see some small changes, but I, I'd hesitate to predict what they'll be. Fair. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I know that you, you're you on a schedule, and um, I'm just glad that you were able to carve out some of your day to come on and talk to me. Um, yeah, anytime, to do so. Yeah, anytime you want to come on, just let us know, and you are always welcome. I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I am certain I will talk to you again very soon. But thank you. Oh, uh, the article's name is Hating Stupid Interventions Does Not Require Loving Communists. Uh, it came out today. It's in the American Conservative. I'm going to add the uh, link to the uh, comments here in just a second. But uh, go check it out. It's a fantastic article. It's a great read. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank Doug Bandow joined me today. And I'm honestly gushing a little bit, but I'm okay with it. But thank you, Doug. I will, um, I will see you again very soon. Sounds very good. You have a good right. one now. You too. Take care. Bye-bye.
Oh my goodness, I'm not gonna lie, people. Uh, that was a true honor for me to have him on the show. Um, but yeah, like he was saying on sanctions, uh, which I just want to talk about uh, years ago, years ago, long before I even got involved in politics, I was writing, um, as I am want to do, and I was writing a uh, poetry book that you might be able to find online if you try hard enough. Um, but um, I was writing a poetry book, and in it I have a line in there talking about sanctions and how sanctions don't hurt the people in power, they only hurt the people, uh, the, the people on the ground. Uh, and it's true. Whenever you put sanctions on a country, the, the people in power don't feel it. The, it's the people that are, you know, the, the, the citizens of the country that are the ones that get hurt by it. And these are, these are the people you're not trying to hurt. And the idea that they're going to get upset and rush to uh, rush to get rid of the government is not what's going to happen. Instead, the the people in power gain more and more power, and the people, uh, the citizens of the country, end up just falling by the wayside, getting hungrier and continually losing. Now, after 61 years, potentially they rise up and. Uh, try to do some sort of uh, overthrow of the government, but we don't know if that's going to work. And is it worth it? Is it worth the lives that are lost? And to Madeleine Albright and her ilk, yeah, absolutely it is. But to you know, you to me to anybody else who has a soul, uh, no, that's not okay. Like we should not be uh, dealing out the millions of deaths that these sanctions cause. Uh, just because we're trying to prove a point to those in charge. Um, but yeah, so uh, I've got a little bit of time left, so I'm going to go through the sponsors. If anybody has any questions for me, shoot them in the, uh, shoot them in the comments here. But let's go through our sponsors today. Today's episode, as always, like I said earlier, is brought to you by SiestaCava.com. SiestaCava has the premier cava that you can find online and uh i highly recommend it if you're looking to try out the uh libertarian kool-aid because you know what it's tasty it's not it tastes like a liquid potato but you get used to it and you know it's so much cooler than alcohol uh this episode is also brought to you by the libertarian party waffle house caucus Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, the fastest growing, uh, fastest growing waffle-related caucus and the second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party, uh, which is just, this was a joke, people. This was a joke, and it started out as a place to show pictures of Waffle House and donkeys, and now it is the second largest caucus in the Libertarian Party. If you want to become a member of the Libertarian Party Waffle House Caucus, just head on over to muddiedwatersmedia.com slash store and uh, pick yourself up a Waffle House button that I will personally mail to you because they are all sitting literally right next to me. Uh, if you want to become a voting member, whatever the hell that means, get a shirt because we have those for sale too. This episode is brought to you by Mudwater. If you are looking to make the switch from coffee because you're like, man, you know, coffee's like acidic and has a lot of different but has a lot of different flavors and wonderful aromas. Uh, and it's got like that huge jolt of caffeine. And I want to get rid of all of that. 
and get something with one seventh the amount of caffeine that tastes like, you know, uh, also kind of like a potato. I drink a lot of things that are potato tasting. Um, switch over to mud water. Uh, if you add a little honey, honey, trust me, it tastes great. Uh, it's made with masala chai, cacao, mushrooms, turmeric, sea salt, cinnamon, and that is it. And honestly, what else could you possibly want to add to that? If you're looking to make the switch, go to muddiedwatersmedia.com slash mud today. This episode is brought to you by the Gravy King. This episode is brought to you by Fierce Luxury by Ashley. Fierce Luxury is a high-end bag and accessories consignment store based online. They carry the hottest brands like Louis Vuitton, Chanel, Gucci, and Herms. Hermes. Hermes. Uh, Cosign. Consign. With them, consign with them for a 30% fee, which is 20%, according to Ashley, is 20% less than most consignment stores. I have no clue if that's true. No idea. I've never con- uh, consigned with anybody before, but I'm going to trust Ashley because I don't think she would lie to me. Uh, you can find them online at FierceLuxuryByAshley.com and on Facebook in their exclusive group, Fierce Luxury by Ashley. This episode is brought to you by Jonathan Reels. Good old Jonathan Reels. He needs about 350 bucks. That's it. 350 people. We can get 350. If everybody in the comments gives five bucks, uh, we could get Jonathan that 350 bucks. All you have to do is uh, donate at www.jonathan.cash. This episode is brought to you by Jack Casey. Jack Casey, the cult leader that is well known on clubhouse uh for being a fed who enjoys sitting in front of his dog naked uh he is a fantastic human being from what i understand but what cult leader doesn't convince you of that uh he's got a couple of books out one's called the royal green the other's called in silver throne he has another one crowned by gold coming out and i am more than certain that the next book cover is going to be the most disturbing one yet uh, because he has the vomiting ring, he's got the uh, the 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 butterfly with an erection, and I'm assuming that the next one is going to have a crown on it. I have no clue. I haven't seen it. I'm assuming it's going to be a crown, but I'm assuming there's going to be something mildly pornographic about it. This episode is brought to you by. Cumberland Cannabis Co., the viable, ethical, and effective cannabis from Tennessee. Uh, I am actually heading up to Tennessee, and I might swing by um, in a couple of weeks. But uh, Cumberland Cannabis Co., if you are looking to get your weed online, go to cumberlandcannabisco.com because I hear that they have viable, ethical, and effective cannabis there, and who doesn't want that? This episode is brought to you by Adderpan. Uh, Adderpan is a terrifying game in which you are working in a school at night as a security guard and tiny little doll-like creatures are trying to jump out and uh, kill you. Uh, It's apparently very terrifying. One of our regular listeners let their child play the game and then was shocked when their child had nightmares. So you should definitely try out this game. It's only five bucks. Like, why... Wouldn't you try it for five bucks? I watch a lot of stuff to try to get myself scared. Um, it is a five night style game, uh, and you can get it on Steam, I think. 
think you can get it on Steam. I need to find that portion of the thing. Yeah, you can get it on Steam for the low, low price of $5. It's available for Windows PC, which means I can never have it because I have Mac. Um, and there are going to be expansion packs coming out. And it's 5 bucks, people. It is $5. You can skip Starbucks tomorrow and buy this game today and have a lifetime of fun. Or, you know, lifetime of terrifying moments. Uh, and this episode is brought to you by Joe Soloski. He is running for governor of Pennsylvania. He is the key to Pennsylvania's success. If you live in the Pennsylvania region of these United States, you could make Joe Soloski the first libertarian governor in history. Vote for Joe Soloski and make a difference in this world. Um, Let's see. I saw a couple of questions. What's your favorite food to go with mayo? Uh, whatever's closest typically is my favorite food to go with mayo. Um, obviously, a bacon cheeseburger is like one of the better things. Philly cheesesteak, also one of the better things. Uh, anything with a lot of meat is great, uh, but I am willing to put it on pretty much anything. Now, people are going to say that this is weird, but if you take two slices of whatever your favorite kind of bread is, on one of them you put peanut butter, the other one you put mayo, put those bad boys together, fantastic. It is the best post-workout snack you can possibly get. You get your fats, you get your proteins, uh, you get your carbs. It is amazing. Um, if you were a mayo, which brand? Uh, I'm seeing a theme. If you were a mayo, which brand would you likely identify as? Uh, that would be Dukes. There is no other real question. I even have it tattooed right here. Um, Dukes Mayo is the premier mayo that is not Cupy Mayo. Uh, and if you uh, haven't tried it, you definitely should. Vodka does not taste like potatoes. Vodka tastes like pure alcohol and burning. Um, that's why I don't drink it. That's one of the many reasons I don't drink it. But, um, Dave's Killer Bread, uh, yeah, Dave's Killer Bread, excellent. Uh, Dave's Killer Bread is great stuff, and uh, the guy who created it, when he was on Spike's show, that was one of the most uplifting shows that I have ever seen. Um, that guy was amazing. That guy, I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, yeah, no, that guy was fantastic. Um, how often do you use mayo in non-food related activities? Whenever superfan Sarah Andreg will let me, which means never. Never. Although, fun fact, mayo will also uh, get stickers off of your car. Like when you get the, if you put a sticker on your bumper and you use mayo, it'll peel it off without any issue. Um... um <laughs> But yeah, so I would honestly to have Doug come on the show was uh, was a huge one for me. I was very excited to have him on on to be able to talk about uh, talk about everything going on in Cuba. Uh, I'm still shocked he came. Um, that's what she said. Uh, but uh, I'm honestly blown away that he uh, took the time to come on my show. Uh, I've been a fan of his for years. Um, <laughs> when when will we have an interview with the CEO of Duke's Mayo? I I don't know. Talk to Brian. Talk to Brian Lambrecht. He's the one that does my booking. If you want to reach him, it's uh, Brian at SpikeCohen.com. Um, 
thank you, Jason. Jason Lyon, the Bearded Truth, said it was a fantastic, uh, an amazing interview. And uh, Liberty Shamrocker, uh, Connie, says she fangirls over Doug. Great interview. Thank you all very much. Uh, <laughs> people are saying that's absolutely disgusting. I'm assuming that's to the peanut butter and mayo thing. And I'm telling you, people, don't knock it till you try it. Go have a really big workout. Work up a nice, good sweat, burn a bunch of calories. Go home and try it. It is the greatest post-workout snack ever. Um, Dave Dahl. Yeah, thank you, Janice McKenzie. Appreciate that, Dave Dahl. Um, but yeah, so I've got about 15 minutes left. Um, is there any stories anybody wants to hear about my life? Because I am willing to tell you pretty much anything. Um <laughs> pretty much anything about uh, what it is about me that Sarah's terrified and she locked the door. Um, but yeah, if you have any questions, I'm here to answer them because uh, I've got a little bit of time. Oh, I remember you want to hear about the path from the start of Muddied Waters to today. All right, I'll, I can do that. So would I visit Alaska again? Yes, I would absolutely visit Alaska again. It would just have to be in the summer. Um, so uh, Muddied Waters started because I was getting well-known in the Pinellas County area as a libertarian to know because I quickly joined the Libertarian Party of Pinellas County. And I went from being uh, just a member to secretary to treasurer to vice chair in a year. Um and tell us about Spike's mixtape. You're never going to find it. That's what I can tell you. Um, but I made it up to vice chair in like a year and worked hard, was at the events, was writing article after article, sending out the press releases. I was doing as much as I possibly could. And then on top of it, uh, Kratom, which uh, it goes very well with Kava. Um, I was actually drinking Kratom before I was drinking Kava. Um, Kratom was at risk of being banned here in the state. Uh, there was a group of people who were trying to ban it because of a young man who unfortunately uh, killed himself and his mom blamed the Kratom. Uh, it, that's a story for a different day. It's not why. That's 100% not why he did it. We know why he did it, um, and it had nothing to do with the Kratom. Um, he, uh, he, so I was going up to the state legislature and I was talking about why you shouldn't get rid of Kratom. And it turned out that, uh, well, they didn't. They voted it down. Thanks to, uh, thanks a lot to my state senator who said, why are we even talking about this? This makes no sense. Let them drink Kratom if they want to. And uh, one of the uh, state reps who is my I don't know if he's my, no, he's not my state rep. He's slightly further north. Um, he was one of the people who co-signed on the bill in the house. And then he, re, he pulled it uh, after he realized that so much of the uh, support for it was coming from his county. So he pulled his support. And then he said, I used to vote against seatbelt laws. And I said, yeah, but you stopped. Uh, but so I was making a small name for myself locally. And there was another guy whose name was Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Shaker. He had been on CNN four times and people were telling him he needed to start a podcast. And so he came to me and said, hey, you and I should do a podcast together. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds like a whole lot of work for not a lot of money. 
and I was right. That's a whole lot of work for not a lot of money. So if anybody out there wants to uh, make that slightly more worth it, you can just go to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters to leave a message that Spike and I will play on Tuesdays, and you can donate to make it slightly more worth it for me to do all this work. Um, And he said, no, it'll be fun. You know, we'll do it once a week. Still, once a week. Uh, We'll do it once a week, and, you know, we'll stick, and it'll be great. And I said, after months of him working on me, I finally said, okay, and we started. The first episode is called Matt and Mo Season 1, Episode 1. Uh, you can find it on anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters. I don't recommend listening to it. It was not good. Um, it was, we were filled with a bunch of nerves, just balls of nerves, and uh, we were very quiet, and our audio was absolutely terrible. Um, and... As we started learning how to do things, we started talking to different podcasters who were helping us out, uh, who were helping us out on how to improve our audio. And the entire time he's going, we just need to do video. We need to do video. We need to do video. And I think around episode 26, I agreed and we started doing video. Uh, The first person we had on was Alexander Snicker, Alexander Snicker, who is now the host of Alex and Adrian's Unattended Baggage. Uh, He was the former vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Florida. He ran for Senate back in 2012 as a libertarian, and he was the executive director of the Republican Liberty Caucus uh, up until about a year ago. Uh, He was there from like 2017 till 2020 or something along those lines. Um, great guy, good friend of mine. He lives here local. Uh, love, love the man to death. He's hilarious, uh, even if people hate him. Um, and if people hate him, he's actually funnier. Uh, and the show was going through its ups and downs. We, we were having our issues. Uh, and me and the original co-host, we were having our issues because one of us wanted to put in all of the work and the other one didn't want to show up. Uh, you can take your guesses on who those who took each role because I'm not here to out anybody. Um, so we uh, so we um, continued doing the show. Like there were weeks that we wouldn't have it. There were spans of time that we wouldn't have it, and then we'd come back and we'd do a show, and it was great, and it was like therapy for me, and I loved it. Um, I still love it, but it was like therapy for me, and we would do it, and then. He and I just kept fighting about the fact that one of us didn't want to show up all the time. And he disappeared on me for quite some time uh, at one point, and I got upset. And I ended up taking a job in Alaska because I was tired of doing all the work for Muddied Waters. Um, So I went to Alaska for a summer and I said, hey, while I'm gone, keep the show running. Like, just get guests, do interviews, you know, do what I do on Thursdays now. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And he didn't. Uh, I think he had one show while I was gone. And I came back, and I was kind of seeing the writing on the wall. So I said, okay, this is what I have to do. I don't know if Muddied Waters of Freedom, the show, is going to survive uh, him leaving if he decides to leave. Um, So I asked Spike, Spike Cohen. You may have heard of him. Um, He hosts... Uh, The Wednesday Show, My Fellow Americans. You may have heard of it. You may have seen it. I don't know. Um, He's about yay tall, paler than me. Anyway, uh, he, um, 
I asked him if he wanted to do a show and he was very excited about this prospect and he said yes absolutely I would love to do a show um, and he had guest hosted before one time when my co-host hadn't shown up and he did a fantastic job and I knew that he'd be great at it so I said hey do you want to do this and he said yeah and so he started doing my fellow Americans on uh, July 4th three years ago 2017 or no 2018 sorry 2018 um, and so I was doing the writer's block in Muddied Waters of Freedom. He was doing uh, My Fellow Americans. And our my co-host at the time was showing up sporadically. Um, and then he decided that, my co-host that is, uh, he decided that he was going to quit. And he pulled me aside and he was like, hey, look, I just need to quit. It's not, it's nothing personal against you. I just, I can't do it. And it's too much and I said okay no that's fine you know I get it and you know we're always going to be friends and we're always going to be friends and I appreciate you coming and telling me that um and he said great you know that's awesome so uh I took a couple of weeks off from Muddied Waters of Freedom I was still doing the writer's block and uh I had I Ended up having to go to a YALCON in Reston with the Republican Liberty uh, Caucus. And uh, while I was there, I was doing a lot of thinking, trying to figure out which way to take it. Is this something I even wanted to continue to do? Was it worth it? Uh, Muhammad was, uh, he was a name in the Liberty Movement in 2016. And he, I was afraid that without him on the show then there would be no reason for this show. People wouldn't watch. Like, who wants to sit there and watch me? Um, I've got numerous people in the comments right now uh, who apparently that you do, and thank you. But at the time, I was like, who wants to watch me? They're coming to watch him. I'm the one that, you know, kind of does the notes and produces everything. Like, that's, it's not really worth it. Uh, So Spike and I had a talk, and I was like, I don't know what to do. But if I continue with Muddied Waters of Freedom, I know I want you to be the co-host. And he was like, yeah, no, I would love to. Um, I think that'd be great. And I was like, but that would mean we're doing two shows a week. And he said, no, that's fine. And he was like, I'm retired. What else do I have to do? And I was like, that's a good point. Um, So we started doing that in uh, September September of 18. He and I started doing that. And even then, like, it wasn't the easiest time for us. Um, You know, there were times that we didn't want to do it and we wanted to take nights off, but we still showed up and tried to make the show as entertaining as possible, sometimes to six people. I remember there was a night. It was... It was the night of the State of the Union. uh, Trump's State of the Union. And we got so excited because 41 people were watching us do it live. 41 people watching us live. And Spike texted me in the middle of the show to be like, 41 people are watching us. And like, I remember this feeling of just nervous energy inside of me. And I was terrified that I was going to do or say something so idiotic that these 41 people would no longer want to watch. Um, and we got through it and you know people people continued some people continued watching like we went up we went down um and then spike got the 
call from Vermin Supreme to find out if he wanted to be his running mate. Uh, so Vermin had been on Spike's show, My Fellow Americans, and uh, they had a good time. And then uh, Jason Lyon, I forgot about Jason. Uh, Mr. Beer, I, I didn't forget about Jason. I just forgot the timeline. Uh, so we we discovered this podcast of this guy uh, going by Mr. Bearded Truth, Mr. America. Uh, Mr. America, the Bearded Truth. Um, and he was doing a show on Tuesday nights. And on one of his shows, this is dumbass, he said, hey, guys, uh, if you're here uh, with me, you know, I'm really glad you're here. But uh, you might want to check out Muddied Waters of Freedom. These guys are great. And we ended up hearing it. And we listened to a couple of his shows. And then I messaged him one night and I said, hey, do you just want to join Muddied Waters? And he got giddy, literally giddy. He giggled. He giggled, everybody. Next time that he has a show, remind him that he giggled when I asked, asked him if he wanted to be part of Muddied Waters. Um, and with him uh, becoming part of Muddied Waters, Spike and I got the opportunity to host the presidential debates at the Libertarian Party of South Carolina's uh, convention. Um Um, at the Libertarian Party of South Carolina's convention. Uh, I'm not going to get into why you never saw that episode. Jason understands. Brent DeRitter understands. Spike Cohen understands. Um, Shane Sweeney understands. The Gravy King understands. But I'm not going to get into it. Um... But so we went up there and Spike and I were staying with Vermin, which if you've never stayed in an Airbnb with Vermin Supreme, I highly recommend it. Like, that's a wild time. Uh, that's just a crazy time. That's just good, good fun for anybody. Uh, highly recommend. Two thumbs up. Uh, much better than Titanic. Uh, but he so they started getting this rapport and it was great. And we were having so much fun. And uh, then Vermin says, hey, do you want to be my running mate? Except he probably said it more like, hey, kids, do you want to be my running mate? And uh, Spike was like, yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, and <laughs> and uh, so we, uh, Spike was like, yeah, and he called me. He was like, yeah, do you, do you care if I do this? And I was like, no, why would I care? Absolutely, you should do this. How many times do you get to say I ran for vice president of the United States? Two, three, maybe four in your lifetime? You may as well take it while you got the chance. Um, and in all honesty, I wanted to see how badly it was going to go. It was like when you're a kid and you're like, hey. Or one of your friends is like, hey, you think I can make this jump? And you're like, yeah. And in your head you're going, no. I want to see how bad you're going to get injured. Uh, I didn't want to see him get injured. But I wanted to see what was going to happen. Because it wasn't what happened. That was not what I had envisioned personally. Um, and, uh, so he was running and I, I had to take on a lot of the workload because he was busy running for vice president. And, uh, so I took on a lot of the workload. Um, Jason, unfortunately, he started going through some stuff, which it's not my business, so I'm not going to tell it, but I'm so glad that he is back doing his show again. Uh, it is Every show he does is better than the one before it, and that's amazing because I was impressed, like unbelievably impressed when I saw him the first time, and he just continues getting better. 
and Spike uh, was running with Vermin Supreme and people would come on and make fun of us and uh, say really disgusting things on the anchor.fm slash muddied waters Colin moment. Um, the Chris Reynolds anchor.fm muddied waters Colin moment. Um, but uh, so it was, it was a weird time. Like we were going through some weird growing pains uh, during this time period. And we didn't know how any of it was going to end. Um, and we were kind of waiting to see what would happen at the Libertarian Convention back in 2020. And we're sitting there, and I'm not there because COVID. Uh, I was at my house here in St. Pete, and Spike was in South Carolina, and Jason was probably in South Carolina. I didn't talk to him that day. Um, and we were, all of us just had this weird, nervous there was a nervous cloud across all of us and it was just like, what's going to happen? What is going to happen? And you're watching the votes come in and it's like, who's going to make it? Who's going to make it? And, uh, you see, uh, Joe Jorgensen win. And I'm not going to lie in that moment. I thought, well, I'm not voting for president this year. Cause there's no way I'm voting for her. And if anybody wants to know why, it's because when she was asked about sex work, she refused to answer the question because she said the American people don't care about it. She changed her answer later on, but the first time that she was asked that question while running for president, that, is, that was her response. And somebody challenged her on it and said, what if CNN asked you that question? Would you not answer? And she goes, no, I wouldn't. And I went, well, this woman I will never vote for. Um, and... I was like, okay, well, not going to vote for this woman. And it was like that thing where it's like, I'm not going to do this. unless, And mine was, I'm not going to vote for this woman unless spikes are running, mate. And I was like, yeah. But honestly, what are the odds that my goofy co-host, who before all this vice presidential stuff started happening, was the comic relief on the show, and I was the straight man. What are the odds this guy's going to get nominated? Like, the people that the Libertarian Party's going to end up going with, like, John Mons or um, Ken Armstrong or somebody along those lines, of course, they're going to go with the respectable person, not my goofy co-host. And I was wrong. I'm not wrong when it comes to elections all that much, you know, I might be off, you know, a point here or there, but I was wrong here. Um, I was very wrong. Um, and uh, he ended up getting the nomination. Things started blowing. Our, our, our website crashed multiple times because we just didn't have the bandwidth for it. Um, the growth was exponential right out the gate right out the gate and suddenly everything that we said was being put under a microscope by everybody across the country everything that i said i one time on a show said the people from tsa were the people who were kicked out of uh the uh the the i, I can't remember what it's called the catholic divinity school because they were good enough at molesting children all of this was being held under a microscope but that did not stop us in how we took our, and how we handled our show and the way that we presented it because we wanted to make sure that the people who were watching it were getting the uh, this, getting the news in a satirical, funny way 
So that way they would be able to look at it and at least get a good laugh while we were, uh, while the entire ship is going down. While, you know, the, we're the band on the Titanic playing while it's going down. Like we're just having fun whilst everything is sinking. Um, and we're going to continue doing that because that is who we are as people. Uh, and we want to make sure that at least we're having fun. Um, and we want you to have fun anytime you come. Um, so the show, the show was picking up and, uh, Spike was out doing the VP thing and he was, you know, I'm, I'm streaming, I'm doing the website. Uh, and if anybody wants to do the website, shoot me a message because we are way behind. Um, but Spike, uh, was out doing the VP thing. He's touring the country. I'm doing all the muddied water stuff. We're trying to make sure that the show's still good. I'm putting together the notes and I'm just kind of filling them in by text message on, uh, what to expect. Um, I'm Jason. He's on hiatus, uh, but I'm keeping in touch with him, making sure he's doing all right. Um, and we were, we were just trying to make it through till the election, just to see what would happen, <laughs> just to see what would happen. Cause there were, there were days where I was tired and I was beaten down and I was just like, man, we just got to keep going. And then we did the presidential debates where Spike and I had the presidential debates on and we made everybody upset. Uh, but we had thousands of people watching us and remember uh, earlier when I said that uh, Spike texted me cause we had 41 people watching us, 41 people watching us. And I had this huge knot of nervous energy in my stomach. I had thousands of people watching me for the presidential debate felt nothing like I had never been so calm and collected. Um, Sarah says that that's a lie because uh, she said that uh, I was vaping like incessantly. Um, but I remember that moment thinking, I do not feel nearly as nervous as I did when I did the, uh, when, when we did the state of the union and 41 people were watching us. Now we have thousands of people watching and I'm, 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 I feel good. Like I feel great. Um, and the show has continued to grow. Like a lot of people fell off after the election because that's what happens with politics. Every four years you get the people that come out of the woodwork and they come and they check stuff out, especially we've got the podcast with the vice presidential nominee for the libertarian party. Yeah, of course we're going to get a swell of people checking us out. And then after the election was over, yeah, they're going to fall off. But a lot of them stayed. A lot of you people may not have heard of us until then. And you know what? God bless you for sticking around because you are the people that we do this for. The people who understand the humor. The people that understand what it is we're trying to do. You are the people that we do it for. And you guys make it worth it. Like all of you. The people, there are people who have been paying attention to this show, listening to the show, watching the show since episode one. And those people, I'm always impressed by that they continue to stick through it and they love it. And they, I'll get messages and they're telling me how much they love what's been going on with the show and how much it's grown and how much better it is than it was at the very beginning. And I'm like, well, yeah, because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but it is... I don't know if you're going to... How many people will understand this? I never knew that this was my dream until I started doing it. And everything 
and every time that I come on the air and people are watching and people are paying attention and commenting and especially the people who, you know, uh, donate, uh, the, you guys make this so unfathomable as something that I actually get to do for my life. Um, and it's truly humbling that I actually get to do this, that I get to sit here on Tuesdays and Thursdays and uh, anytime somebody wants me to come on their show um, and just talk to you guys about politics, about stuff that I would be talking with Spike about on the phone anyway or over Facebook Messenger. I never knew that this is what I wanted to do. Like I was like, I'm a writer and I'm going to write books and novels like Jack Casey without the head of hair. And uh, that's what I'm going to do for my life. And yeah, like that would be a, that's a great dream. And I would be totally okay with that. But the fact that I get to do this with you people every week uh, is there is no greater thing in the world that I could possibly be doing than this because I get to spend every Tuesday and every Thursday with all of the people who watch and all of the people who are entertained and all of the people who are educated you people make it worth it for me for anybody who's like wow I didn't know that thank you um, or the people who are like man that was funny as crap and Matt's not even the funny one or the people who are like wow that show was really well written and put together you're welcome that's all me um, yeah, Cajun, I was, he says he was a musician, right? Like I was, I was a writer. Like I've got, I've got two books, uh, Dear Jack, Diary of an Addict, which came out six years ago, six and a half years ago. Um, and, uh, Can You Keep a Secret, which came out in 2017 or 18. And I've got another two that I wrote a while ago that, might get released at some point um but in all honesty like that was my dream for a very long time was to be a writer to be an author to write books and i did it i did it i wrote books and it was great none of they didn't sell well they did not sell well at all but uh you know they're they're out there and people can buy them if they want to. And if they don't want to, hey, whatever. Like I basically did it just to prove to myself that I could do it and I could achieve that dream. And now I have to do, well, now I have this dream. Now I have this dream and I get to make this dream come true on a scale that I never thought was possible with anything I've ever done. And every Tuesday and every Thursday and uh, apparently the occasional Saturday, I get to make this dream come true and there is nothing else in this world I would rather be doing. If you would have asked me, this show's five years old. Okay. So if you would have asked me five years ago when I started this show, if I thought we were going to make it past seven episodes, I would have been like, hell to the no. We're not going to make it past seven episodes because for anybody who doesn't know, 90% of podcasts stopped doing it after, before the seventh episode. Never thought we were going to be in that top uh, top 10%. Never thought that was going to happen. But here we are. Like This is episode... I think this is episode 53. I think I didn't do the numbers right on it. 
Um, I think this is episode 53 of this show, 204 of the Muddy Waters of Freedom, of which I have been on all of them but two. Um, Spike's got 101 episodes of my fellow, or 103, 104 uh, episodes of my fellow Americans. And Jason, well, he's on episode two of the rebrand, but I think he was at episode 35 when he had to take his break. Um, I don't remember exactly off the top of my head. And now we have Cajun and Eskimo who are uh, closing out our weeks on Fridays with a fantastic show that is educational and funny and well thought out if Eskimo did the notes. And the fact that I was able to bring this, Muddied Waters, the fact that I was able to bring Muddied Waters, which is literally named after this disgusting drink that I drink all day, every day, the fact that I brought Muddied Waters and put it out there to the world, and now Monday through Friday, people can tune in at 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock Eastern and watch uh, people talking about liberty and freedom and how we can make a difference. I'm just like having this moment of, holy crap, I actually did that. And like, it's never like people tell me it. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's, I didn't do anything. I like I just started talking to a mic, and now we have this fantastic sh- slate of shows with great liberty-loving people who love freedom. And fuck me, honestly, people, uh, you guys are the ones that I do it for, and um, I. Thank you to all of you who tune in. Thank you to all of you who donate. Um, You guys are honestly, you're the real ones. Uh, I figured I was going to be done early tonight, and I just took that uh, story to uh, 45 minutes. Um, Yeah, the story, the realization of what you created is finally hit. Yes, it is, because it has not occurred to me until telling this story right now. Um, so tomorrow at 9.30 Eastern on Friday night, (laughs) on Friday night, we have Cajun Eskimo from, uh, from Bayou's to Igloo's premiering on this Friday night. Now on, on a new night on Friday night, this is the new, uh, what the shit was the, what, what? What the shit was it called on Friday nights? Uh, you know, with uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark and Family Matters and um, and uh, Step by Step and all that. Why can I not remember this? Because I'm old enough to remember it. That's why I can't remember it. Um, TGIF. The new TGIF is Cajun and Eskimo from Bayou's to Igloo's. Starting at 9.30 Freedom Time, also known as Eastern Time and not that commie Illinois time. Um, So be sure to tune in for that. I am certain that whatever Eskimo has is going to be exceptionally well thought out and prepared and planned. And whatever Cajun has is going to be educational in a completely different way. And then on Monday, we have Jason Lyon coming back uh, with... With Mr. America, The Bearded Truth, at 8 o'clock on Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday. Then next Tuesday, right here, Spike and myself will be parsing through the news. 
like the 2020 Wonder Boys that we are with a brand new episode of Muddied Waters of Freedom. Uh, with a brand new episode of Muddied Waters of Freedom. Uh, which I am definitely... <laughs> Which I am definitely looking forward to. Oh, and I'm streaming that episode because Spike. Spike is going to be at Freedom Fest in South Dakota. Oh, yeah, and Spike's here. Spike's in, Spike's like literally 20 minutes from me right now uh, for the shooting event with the philosopher and Spike Cohen tomorrow, in, or sorry, Saturday, in uh, Tarpon Springs at the Reload Gun Range. Uh, it's This is a whole week of liberty that you guys are going to get a chance to get to hear about, to get a peek of, to be around. Like, honestly, super excited for all of it that's happening. Uh, I look forward to all of next week. I look forward to tomorrow with Cajun and Eskimo. Thank you, everybody. If you want to find us online, go to anchor.fm slash muddiedwaters. You can leave us messages that we will play on Tuesday night, and you can donate, and you don't have to donate for us to play your messages, but we're going to like you more. Um, And then tune in. Literally every day, people, there is not a day that you will not catch something from us. And I don't mean that as an STD. I mean that as liberty. So have a, have a fucking great weekend and tune in to Cajun and Eskimo tomorrow night. I will see you all soon. Oh, fun fact of the week. Fun fact of the week. Uh, dogs will smell, start smelling with their left nostril for whether or not they like it. And then they will smell with their right nostril to find out if it is something that they should be afraid of. And if it's, if it's not, they will go back to the left nostril to let you know that they like it. Keep that in mind. If a dog going straight to the right nostril on you, run. Uh, have a great weekend. I will talk to you all later. I am. I am. I am swinging from a seven-story window. Throwing parties in a 10 by 7 cell It's astounding the legs I'll go To convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help Yeah, I am waving while I drown Don't bother swimming out to save me I will only drag you down I'll try to use your body as a life raft Cause if there's room enough for one There must be room enough for two I'll sail the good ship you into the sunset Sipping on savory waters and the liver turns blue.
convince the whole damn world I don't need anybody's help.